Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha, and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor Emmy Raver Lampman. You may know Emmy from her various Broadway roles like Angelica Schuyler and the first national tour of the hit musical Hamilton, but she joins me today to talk about her role as Alison Hargreaves in Netflix's The Umbrella Academy. Emmy and I talk about watching black and white movies in old theaters, childhood movie crushes, and the movies that changed her life. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to give us a star rating and leave a review because every single one counts. Thanks to Doxma33 and Raven DiCaprio for the most recent five-star reviews. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Emmy Raver-Lampman. You star in the umbrella academy which was the number two show on netflix last year which is crazy because it was your first season uh season two just came out relatively recently another huge hit uh it is based off the graphic novel by gerard way who some may know as uh, the lead singer of my chemical romance um i know you're giving me like yeah that's such a that's such a weird right (laughs) (laughs) but for those who who don't know what umbrella academy is uh why don't you uh give us a rundown of what that is and who you are allison the rumor Yeah. Uh, So essentially, the Umbrella Academy is about this uh, family of siblings that were in a way collected by this, you know, entrepreneur, scientist, you know, kind of mysterious man who went around and collected all of these babies that were all born on the same day at the same time from women that were not pregnant when that day began. Um, And I think he kind of figured out that these these babies would grow up and eventually have powers. And so he, you know, kind of goes around and collects as many of them as he can and kind of turns them into this like crime fighting superhero family. Um, And, you know, our show picks up when they all return home. They're all in their thirties. They've all kind of been estranged for several years because um, they lost one of their brothers. And that kind of was the big, the big rip in the family that kind of sent them all on their own ways and, um, and, and journeys. And they all kind of come back together for the first time for their father's funeral. And that is where we meet them and pick up the story of this family in the beginning of the um, first season. And 
you know, we go on a wild ride as they <laughs> come to find out that an apocalypse is coming um, and the end of the world is coming and it is kind of up to them to figure out why and how and stop it. And it's re- I mean, it's really about these seven siblings and how they you know their relationships with each other and also their their personal journeys through through their own traumas and their own you know struggles and hardships um and you know and it's it's funny and it's the universe is really weird it's it's you know it's modern day like but mm-hmm. the technology is a little like there's no cell phones and and all the cars are a little older and uh there's you know we have a a chimpanzee a chimpanzee that is like our butler yeah. <laughs> named Pogo and our mother is a robot so you know there's there's like a lot of little amazing like nuancey kind of you know otherworldly elements but it you know it is really grounded in the humanity of, of these siblings yeah. yeah and uh we won't dive too much into season two spoilers just in case people who are listening yeah. haven't seen it yet but speaking of humanity and personal growth uh season two uh, there is a nice little twist where they're, um, the the Umbrella Academy kids are all placed in Dallas, Texas in various years in the 60s. Uh, and your character, Allison, has a particularly awesome growing storyline where she is mm-hmm. placed right in the 60s in Dallas, Texas and starts to participate in the civil rights movement and moving for racial equality. Uh, so do you mind talking about that just a little bit? Yeah, you know, I think it, it became an immediate, you know, decision when, when I think Steve Blackman, our showrunner and, and the, you know, Netflix and the producers and then the writer's room decided to kind of follow the graphic novels, you know, because mm-hmm. the show in itself is very different from yep. the, the, it is not beholden to the original content, but I do think it is, it is amazing source material. Oh, and there's yeah, totally. a lot of stuff that is drawn from it. Um, but the second graphic novel takes place in Dallas Um, and so, you know, when they realized that that was, you know, kind of the direction that they wanted to go to for the second season, having cast a black woman as Allison, you know, there was, there, there is, there's a very massive thing happening in America in the sixties, especially in the South and having, you know, one of your lead characters who is a black woman, I think there's, there's no way around, um, her having to come face to face and kind of head to head with the civil rights movement. And, and, you know, I think that was something that we were all excited about and, and something that we wanted to, to, you know, make sure that it was taken care of with, with respect. And I think it's particularly powerful because your character, um, Allison or the rumor, her like superpower isn't like she blasts laser beams out of her eyes. She has a very particular superpower that would, um, where if she says rumor has it and says something, the person uh, will do what she says. And so whether yeah. or not she uses the power is a part of the storyline in season two, but using mm-hmm. that power is very specific for something like the civil rights movement. And I think Ooh, it yeah. is handled very, very well. Like in terms of being delicate and not being like, maybe not now, but even a couple years ago, we could have seen a superhero show that would do this. And there's so much go like blast all like the segregationists, like with like, you know, their superpowers oh, yeah. and like really camp yeah. it up. But like, yeah. you know, with your power specifically, it's it's handled really, really well, I think. And, um, yeah. you know, you and the rest of the team should be very, very proud of, of how that it plays on screen. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, I think that was that was kind of my biggest thing kind of going into the second season and having, you know, meetings with our showrunner and mm-hmm. talking about Allison's journey for the second season. I was like, I am all for 
and fully support her not using her powers, but it has to be very clear right. as to why she's not. Right. Because, you know, with her power, she can say, I heard a rumor, and then whatever follows happens. But Allison's powers are in a quick fix. Yeah. It is a, and, and, and she, you know, she has a really bad habit of using them for very selfish reasons mm-hmm. and, and for personal gain. And, and so I think, you know, this second season of the show is we're, we're kind of seeing a very different Allison. And so I think that helps further an understanding as to why she's not, why his, she has decided to, to not mm-hmm. use it for, for this movement. And in that moment, because yeah. you know, it's unpredictable, I think. So, so the comic book, the graphic novel is three parts, correct? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, uh, I don't think we've, we've heard an announcement on season three yet. Can, no. no, no news yet. Okay. I was hoping you, you'd give us the no, details. I wish fingers crossed. I'm, I'm, we're honestly waiting with bated breath as well as so, you know, well, I will definitely keep my fingers crossed for season three of umbrella Academy, but if you can't wait, uh, go to watch umbrella Academy seasons one and two on Netflix right now. Um, but right now let's jump into the movies that changed your life. <laughs> oh, I'm very, very excited to talk about these. Yes. I want to I want to preface this whole conversation with like I this I was I'm I'm very nervous about this conversation. <laughs> this would be great. I I'm very excited. It just it just felt like a lot of pressure. One to pick and then two we'll get into we'll get into it. Okay. But I'm 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 um excuse me if I stutter a lot because <laughs> I think it's coming from a place of of I'm just I'm anxious, I think. <laughs> So we'll start with 1951 Strangers on a Train. This is a 7.9 out of 10 with 121,000 ratings on IMDb. uh, Directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Raymond Chandler and Chenzi Ormond. um, Adapted by uh, Woodfield Cook, based on the novel by Patricia Highsmith, starring Farley Granger, Ruth Roman, and Robert Walker. Uh, The plot line is a psychopath forces a tennis star to comply with his theory that two strangers can get away with murder who are not connected. Um, so talk to me, uh, when was the first time you saw you saw this? So I grew up going to going to this like, you know, old school, like vintage movie theater um, in my hometown in Norfolk, Virginia, mm-hmm. um, called The Narrow. Um, and they played black and white movies. They had, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show at like the fourth Friday of every month. Like, right. you know, people did the dress, the dress up, up and the standing <laughs> on the stage and the whole reenacting. And um, it just was like this amazing theater that just was kind of like the center of, of this little, you know, kind of like downtown area in Norfolk um, that that showed a lot of old movies and, and my parents always took me to see the hitch. I mean, we went and saw a ton, but Mm -hmm. um, the Hitchcock ones were always our favorite. Um, And I, I, you know, I mean, we saw vertigo and psycho and the birds and, and this one for some reason has always stuck with me. Um, And I think I, I I actually rewatched it two days ago Mm -hmm. because I haven't seen it in, a decade or if not more. Um, and I think it was the first time I remember like a director making a cameo in a movie. (laughs) And, and I think that for me was just like so weird, but also I think because I was so young, it became like my favorite thing to like find him in the movies. Um, (laughs) and so I hate scary movies like, like, um, like, uh, like gory, scary mm-hmm. movies, but I live for a thriller, mm-hmm. which I think 
I think it started with Hitchcock and I think it started with this movie. And I think now has like fully swung into like, there isn't a true crime documentary that I haven't watched. Um, I'm obsessed (laughs) with true crime. Every podcast I listen to is about like, you know, true crime and missing people and murders. And like, I'm just, I can't, I can't get enough. And like the books that I read, you know, the golden state killer was a huge thing mm-hmm. for me. I was like a very, um, so I think it, it kind of, it feels like it started here. And I think I've just loved, I loved just the direction of like, you know, laying out like the clues for you to kind of track as the movie goes. Um, so you kind of feel like you're on this ride mm-hmm. with, with the actors um, you're not like sitting back and watching this thing. Like yep. he's kind of asking you to be a part of it, um, which I, I just really think is so great. And, and, you know, I also think it's kind of cool that it's like the women in this movie that are, are like, something's up. Yeah. You, know? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like we obviously, you know, um, guy Haynes, mm-hmm. guy in the movie. Yeah. 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 Obviously he is like, well in the know and is a <laughs> right. part of this team but it's like his fiance and also i stand the sister the sister yeah. <laughs> she is the true crime nerd she she, she is the act, true crime is, nerd yeah <laughs> she is she probably she needed her own podcast yeah right. she would have started my favorite murder back in 1951 100 <laughs> yeah. 100 that's her and i she i it's so funny because I, I kind of remember that. And then watching it again, I was like, oh, she's actually my favorite character, I think. But yeah. she's just like, you know, it's like kind of goofy and funny and is like, you know, like the kid's sister, but also is like very astute and very, you know, just kind of linking the things together quickly. And but also is like really funny and, and endearing. Yeah. And she was the first one that was like something off yeah. here uh and so i i was really loved that it was like the women that were kind of onto these men and and you know um roots character and was the one that like with the tie clip mm-hmm. like she was the one that was like tracking the tie clip as the movie went um yeah so i think and we like let us not forget the ferris wheel scene at the end okay oh, that's oh, that is definitely <laughs> we are definitely talking about that scene at the end that scene is insane so for those who haven't seen it, there is the climax of the film, basically um, the two main characters chase each other onto a merry-go-round at a fair. Someone tries to stop it and the brake breaks, the brake breaks and it just goes in fast motion for about five minutes straight. People are flying all over. It is. Like guys get shot. It is insane. Uh, and Alfred Hitchcock actually said, so this, the guy with the guy crawling underneath um, the carousel, yes. that was real. That was not trick photography. And Hitchcock says that this was the most dangerous stunt ever performed under his direction and he would never do it again. Um, but yeah, so oh, so the guy... How could you possibly? Yeah, the 50s, I guess, right? I mean, the guy... So the guy crawling under there. Um, but it's funny because when I was watching this, I actually hadn't seen this yet. This was um, oh, yeah. on my list of uh, Hitchcocks of like, you know, the the top tier Hitchcocks that I haven't seen. This was one of them missing. Um, And I was like, oh, wow, there's no like real like climax craziness to this movie. And then right as that happens, like they get to the fair and then it just goes, the last last five minutes are like completely crazy. It's insane. That carousel is out. And I also, because it's so funny because, you know, now that I'm in TV and film and like no... I, I just have a different eye for it than right. I did when I was younger. Right. And so I was actually trying to, I was watching it, trying to figure out how they shot it. 
And it's just, it, I mean, it's in, it is utter chaos. It is so, and then there's like the, the kid who like starts joining it on the fight. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And like, was- you know, the, the, the Ferris wheel or the mirror ground collapses and like no one seems to like be concerned of like the 30 or so yeah. people who are probably completely either dead or oh, yeah. horribly injured. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horribly, so- horribly injured. Like that, and that the the beat of the 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 little guy like crawling underneath yeah. to like get to the brakes in the middle, where he like stops, right. wipes his sweaty brow, and then like keeps going. And like something that's so Hitchcock and so cool of that scene is when it's like, uh, if you're I'm, I'm doing a hand motion for people who can't see, obviously, but when you're yeah. riding a Ferris wheel or a merry-go-round, oh, yeah. the little horses go up and down. And, you know, the two yeah. are fighting and it looks like the horse is going to stomp on the guy's head. And it's yeah. like very tense. Yeah. Some, some cool moments like it's, that. It's like, and it, and I think that's the thing that's so brilliant is like that movie was made in 1951. Yeah. And I'm watch, we're watching that in 2020 and it's like still like my heart was like. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you brought up like the old theater because my first memories of Hitchcock were also watching it like in an old theater. There's a theater um, really? down like in Palo Alto, California, like 20 minutes south of where I grew up. And I remember yeah. one time my mom took me and we watched uh, North by Northwest. And I remember they had like an organist there and it was like, I think the first, <laughs> the first black and white movie I could have ever seen, but they had like an organist play the overture. And like, that is my very first memory of watching a Hitchcock. Cause like with my mom watching it in this yes. old time theater, there's something like magical about that, right? Like seeing black and white in a theater that looks yeah. Old. Yeah, there really is. There really is. And I think for so long, I, I didn't, I never like got it. Why my parents would always like drag me to these movies. And be like, oh, God, but it's in black and white. Yeah, right. But I think like, but I don't know. I think like, you know, it was like, um, they're all kind of like mystery thriller, right. like heart palpitating kind of anxiety inducing. Right. <laughs> and I don't know, there was like something about that that I just... I just loved. And so every time, anytime they were like, Hey, um, you know, another Hitchcock movie is playing next Friday. We're going to go, you know, you want to come. I was always like, absolutely down. And then I think strangers on a train was, has just been the one that stuck with me always. I feel like every time I watch it, I, I find something new about it that I didn't, I hadn't really realized, you know, the time before. Um, so yeah. I, oh, oh. And a genius like directing scene is like, her death scene mm. when he's like strangling mm-hmm. her and her glasses fall off mm-hmm. and then you're like watching it play out in a reflection, in a reflection yeah. on the ground yeah it's so cool i had completely forgotten about that it's beautiful and then even like you know he drops she he drops a lighter and you think oh he's gonna leave it there but he actually takes yeah. the time to pick it up and then that becomes yeah. a part later yeah so he like tricks you right away thinking like oh yeah. that's how he's gonna get caught but then he still picks it up anyway and it's still, yeah it really I mean, yeah. Hitchcock is, you know, considered a master of the craft for a reason. Yeah, um, yeah. And Strange on a Train really... definitely proves that. Helps build the oh, case yeah. of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so uh, good. Well, perfect. That was Strange on a Train from 1951. If you haven't seen it, uh, go watch it. And whenever theaters open up again, try and find an old theater to watch it in black and white because it, mm-hmm. it is fun to watch Hitchcocks in those. Um, but... It really is. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. 
No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Let's move on to 1984's Purple Rain. This says... Uh, <laughs> Yes. yes, yes. This is a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb with 19,000 ratings. Um, it is directed by Albert Magnoli, written by Albert Magnoli and William Blinn. Uh, stars Prince as the kid, uh, Apollonia Cotero, and Morris Day. Um, so talk to me about Purple Rain and Prince. What, what, what about seeing this one? Um, you know, I think I was just really enamored. Mm-hmm. By Prince. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, who, who yeah, wasn't? Who yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I think, um, I think it's, it's an aesthetic thing with this movie. I think there is something about, you know, like the, 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 the lighting, the way it's lit and, and the costumes and it's, it's, it's almost like, pal- like palpable. Like I can, and I, I went back and watched all of these movies and like mm-hmm. watching it again. It's like, I don't know. I, I can like feel, can feel it in it. my yeah. hands. The, text, yeah. the texture. I was actually just talking about texture in movies and yeah. Yeah. Purple Rain yeah, is totally It just one of those. has like this, this texture and it's not really even like a grimy texture because, it, you know, I think it, it, it is, it is, you know, it's like the club scene and the, the music, you know, the music and the, just everything like alludes to this, like, I don't know. It's like palpable. Like I can feel it in my hands. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a even like the smoke. Like I feel like you know the, the smoke, the smoke yeah, and the fog, everything. everything about it. Yeah, it's it's very, yep. it's like very specific, and it and he cap they capture it really well on screen. Yeah, know? and and so many shots are you know it's like the there's so many shots where like the image itself is blurry, but like but but you're kind of just looking at the stage that's like full of smoke, mm-hmm. so it kind of makes you feel like you're actually there. It's it you know as opposed to like everyone being like perfectly picked like you know in focus and and it's kind of you know because when you're at like a live show there's moments where like the stage gets off completely <laughs> covered in smoke and you can't see what's happening right. and, and you know and i think in movies sometimes we get away from that because you want to see everything the stars right. you want to see everything and i think there's something about this movie that you know there's moments where the camera's really shaky and 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 you know prince is doing a number and he's you can't really see him through the smog. And, and I just think it's really cool. I, it's in it, this movie. So much about this mu- movie is about the music for mm-hmm. me. Cause this is, I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I have, have always really connected with that album. And, and I think then 
you know, it Putting was, it, it was, there was like a visual aspect, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, you know, listening to lemonade and then watching lemonade. It's <laughs> right. like, you know what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's like, it's like takes it to a, the next level. And so I think for me, that was a lot of it was that I, you know, I had been such a, you know, I just loved these songs. And then yeah, it's funny you say that because, um, I have a very strict rule. My wife and I have a very strict rule of if we're going to watch like we like musicals a lot, we will not listen to mm-hmm. it until we see it. So Hamilton in particular was very hard to ignore because we had no idea if we were ever oh, going to yeah. see it. Um, but we held off on it completely and we saw it for the first time with you in it and like our minds were completely blown. But talking to some of my other friends who don't do that, they were like, yeah. you know, whether they got to see it on Disney Plus finally or they saw it on stage finally, they were like, after hearing it, you know, memorizing every word and then seeing it on stage, mm-hmm. it's like a completely different experience. Um, so it's funny oh, yeah. that you call that out because I think, you know, people had that very similar experience and which I think in a way that people would strive to see Prince and they probably couldn't see Prince because he didn't tour that much. And if he did, it was really freaking yeah. expensive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hamil- and, they, and he'd show up like seven hours. Right. Later. He showed up. Seven, yeah. 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 You would yeah. never know if you were really going to see him or not. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> Hamilton is a similar way. Like a lot of people had that musical, loved it, but they never knew if they were going to be able to see it. It was so yeah. popular. It toured and then it appeared uh, on Disney+. Plus. So I think there's a there's a correlation yeah. there between oh, the totally. two. Yeah. Totally. I think because, you know, I had, I, you know, this movie came out years before I was born. So like I, I had heard the music way, 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 way before I'd seen the movie. And so I think, yeah, I just, I think my favorite scenes are the, are the scenes of him performing. Cause you know, he just wasn't just like an unbelievable musician mm-hmm. and artist. And, and, you know, I think, you know, it's like, it's, it's it is, 100% a guilty pleasure. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. This movie, <laughs> this movie is ridiculous. And, 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 but it's like, and it's, uh, I think it's so unapologetic about what it is that like, I just can't help but love it. I'm just like, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Cause you're not, it's, I, I don't think, I never felt, I feel like it's taking itself too seriously, but I also don't think it's apologizing for what it is. Obviously, having never spoken to Prince or not knowing Prince on a personal level, I can, yeah. I feel like Prince, like, I was picturing him, like, walking into that writer's room or, like, talking to them, being like, this is my vision and I think this is perfect. And even though it's campy and goofy and there's that weird, like, yeah. what's on second password scene. Uh, and things that, you know, he throws the girl in the lake and all sorts of stuff. Like, I think yeah. Prince saw that as like, this is my true expression and in, in film oh, yeah. and, and it fits, oh, yeah. it fits so well. Yeah. I, I think it, I, I, I wouldn't expect anything <laughs> less. Like, you know, it's yeah. like every, everything, everything, you know, him and the giant purple motorcycle and he's always <laughs> wearing a heel and. And the hair is always perfectly quaffed and yeah. the eyeliner is just so, and, and he's, you know, there's always this like slight pout and yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It is, it's campy. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it like, and, and I, but I, I like love it so much. So were you like already, I mean, I guess 15 years ago, you must've already <laughs> like found that musical bone in your body wanting to be a musician. Right. So, um, yeah. you know, obviously there aren't that many, um, films musicals let alone featuring black leads you know most musicals featuring black leads uh like porgy and bess um mm-hmm. uh, they're mostly period musicals right yeah, um yeah. especially i mean up until recently obviously um and so was it something to see like you know a, a black man leading in a, in a musical also was that sort of affecting you in, in oh. the way you saw that 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's it's a couple things. I think it's the fact that that, you know, it is a, a black man. It is a lead of is the lead of this movie. And also it's like very obvious that like he was in so much control of this thing, mm-hmm. which I think which I think is and had so much like input mm-hmm. and 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 also like all of the music that's in the movie is also his music, yeah. which I also it's like that's. Cause like, you know, especially as like a, a Broadway actress, like we, we make our, you know, our careers off of, you know, 99.9% of the time singing other people's music. Right. Do you know what I mean? So right. it's like, so unless you're Lin-Manuel Miranda where you write and star it, right? That's the 0.1%, right? 0.1% is him. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so I think I just, I think I was just like in awe of, of like he, you know, of how much, um, how much his voice was amplified Mm -hmm. in this, in this movie as, as a person of color, as a black man, and also just as an artist that it felt so true to everything that he is. And that like, he wasn't asked to, to shy away from that. And Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I think that, that just, it, it just feels it just feels very authentically Prince. And I think, um, I think that was just something that I was kind of in awe of, of just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. seeing him. Cause he was, he's very, he was very elusive. Like he was a very elusive yeah. in, artist. And so I, yeah, he really was. And, and so I think to have, you know, an hour and 40 minutes where you feel like you get to know him a little better, you know, even though he's playing a character and, and, you know, the, they're making a, a connection between, you know, a song and what's happening, you know, in his love life and this right, movie or, right. you know, whatever. But you, I don't know, you just, for, I think it was for me, like so many things like clicked into place of just like mm-hmm. who he is as an artist kind of watching this and kind of knowing and, you know, appreciating that he was, he was given the space to make this thing and, and not, you know, didn't have to shy away from who he is at all. <laughs> and allow me to compare you to Prince really quickly, uh, if I may. Oh my God. <laughs> so when I saw you in in Hamilton, uh, your hair was very, very similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. when I had seen you pop up, but I didn't necessarily remember the name 100%. And then I saw you mm-hmm. on Umbrella Academy and I saw, this was like for season one before we had scheduled this, obviously. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and I saw the hair. I was like, that uh, is the Angelica I saw because it was very distinct <laughs> Yeah, I think your hair yeah. and your 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 image was you, and it showed on stage as well. And I like never forgot who you were. And then oh. you know, so so there it is. So I'm connecting you with Prince in your authenticity as uh, artists. I will take it always. <laughs> That's literally the first time I've ever been been even in the same sentence as Prince. I'll take it. I'll take well, there it. There we go. Um, so before we move on from from Purple Rain, uh, do you have what? What are your thoughts on what do you think the song Purple Rain means? Prince was, um, he was very like effeminate, I mm-hmm. think, and, and very, very fluid in and comfortable in his sexuality and, and in his image and, you know, to, to even, even as who he was as an artist, like he played almost every instrument mm-hmm. and, and he wore heels and he wore makeup, but he also, you know, and wore purple and he was always kind of, yeah, he was like the bigger, the better and wanting this like fluidity of, of everything. That's Mm -hmm. not, you know, that that's not about sexuality. I just think like fluidity of like 
what it means to be alive and human. And I think, you know, I think there's something about the color purple and like masculinity that like Mm -hmm. sometimes they, they, there's a rub there. Sure. And I think, um, and, and I, I love when like, you know, masculinity embraces softness erasure of like social norms mm, okay yeah yeah i love Which that i think is like is kind of because i think prince put all of that up for question yeah. you know what i mean i mm-hmm. think and i think that there's like something just so ooh, something so amazing about that which i think is why so many people were drawn to him because they just were like what is happening yeah. here but i can't i can't, can't get enough of it right you know yeah, i get that yeah the fluidity yeah, and know. this kind of purple washing over you i like that yeah i'm into that um, so that was, that was Purple Rain, 1984's Purple Rain. Uh, so you picked up a role for the animated show Central Park, which is on Apple TV+. Plus. You're going to be playing Molly Tillerman for season two, um, replacing mm-hmm. Kristen Bell's character. Um, for those who don't know, the character Molly Tillerman is half black, correct, on the animated series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so after, I think, recent, uh, I don't want to say movements, but recent changes, and I think in, in Hollywood, uh, Kristen yeah, Bell decided yeah. to step down uh, because she felt it was inappropriate for her to be playing that role, and you have taken over yes. that. So, do you want to talk a little bit about that? First and foremost, the the creatives for for Central Park and and Kristen and 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 everybody everybody involved have been, you know, Josh and and Lauren mm-hmm. and and Kristen and everybody at Apple have been just so so supportive and so mm-hmm. excited and and. Um, and you know welcoming uh you know and i think i think there there is there is a shift happening mm-hmm. and i think there is there is this you know kind of acknowledgement of a change that that is needed um in in our industry and not just in i'm not speaking just specifically in the the um animation space right, i right. think it is um representation is so important and it broadens our ability to tell stories and the kinds of stories that we can tell. And, um, I, I'm, I'm just so excited to, to be a part of, of this show and to be able to voice, you know, a, a, an animated character that looks like me. I'm, I'm truly just so deeply excited and, and honored for that opportunity and a part and to be a part of a show that is, that is trying to be a part of the change. And I get to, you know, work with my some of my Hamilton alums, right. like, you know, <laughs> Leslie and, and David and, yeah. and Josh's Broadway, you know. Right. He was Broadway on a Book, of, Book yeah. of Mormon, right? Book of Mormon. Yeah. So it's, it's also just like, I'm also getting to like work on a project with some of my really close friends, right. which is also, that's also the dream. So well, speaking of Hamilton, I actually saw you as Angelica in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. My wife and I saw you. Uh, I, that was the first national tour. I'm right because we're. Yeah. I'm up in Seattle, but we were down in San Francisco. It was actually like right after our wedding. Um, we oh, like yeah. got tickets to go, and so and then yeah, you were Angelica when there. So I was. I was very uh, cool. <laughs> what a small world. I know, right. It's awesome. Oh my God. Um. Uh, oh, Hamilton. Awesome. We'll we'll try and get to Hamilton towards <laughs> the end, but we. That's a whole another. Yeah. We, yeah. There's a whole other <laughs> thing. Speaking of uh, representation and change and recontextualizing oh, history. Yeah. Um. We'll get to that. So let's move on to your last pick. I'm excited to talk about this one. This is 1993's The Sandlot. Uh, 7.8 out of 10 with 77,000 ratings on IMDb. Written and directed by David Mickey Evans. Uh, and it was also written by Robert Gunter as well. Starring Tom Gurry, Mike Vitar, Patrick Rena, and James Earl Jones. Um, tell me, 
one talk to me about the sandlot one of the most beloved uh baseball movies of all time summer movies yeah. of all time kid movies of all time um yeah. so where where does this lie on 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 your as why is a movie that changed your life this is there was there was a moment where i was it was like this this was a hard pick for me because it was like the sandlot and the mighty ducks okay like okay. those movies I would like go to bed holding the VCR, the VHS. Like those were, you know what I'm saying? Like right, those yeah. were, cause, yeah. Cause I, um, I wasn't really a Disney princess kind of girl. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 and I think I grew up playing a ton of sports and, and I, yeah. And I don't know, like the Sandlot has just like always stuck with me. And I think it's, it's because like, it's the movie like lives and dies in, in, in these kid actors and it's like even re-watching it in my 30s i'm just like they are so good yeah they're awesome yeah <laughs> they're so good like yeah. it holds up yes. like their acting choices hold up which is insane um and so i think there's just so many there's just so many like sound bites like you're killing me smalls right. like there's and and like i didn't have a ton of if any, like celebrity crushes, but <laughs> Mike Vitar at that age, Benny the Jet. <laughs> <laughs> like I just remember being watching that movie in 1993 and being like, I've never felt like this before, <laughs> like ever. Like uh, it was, it was, it was the Converse. It was like the rolled up jeans. Yeah. It was like the the unbuttoned like baseball jersey. But then I also think it was just like the way that he took. Um, uh, Smalls, yeah, Smalls character like under his arm and like gave him a glove and then and and kind of like showed him the ropes and 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 you know gave him a glove and the best part because <laughs> I totally forgot about him wearing that like the baseball cap the, the, with the, the big biggest <laughs> brim of all time. Yeah. And he was like, "Hey, uh, next." He was like, "Tomorrow, just, just burn that." Yeah. <laughs> But then he was like, but I don't have another hat. And he was like, psych, I got one. (laughs) Yeah. He just always had stuff in his back pocket. I was like, you have a glove back there, a ball, a cap. A mitt. Yeah, everything. Yeah, that was honestly my, that was my like childhood heartthrob, I think for sure. Which I think is why I watched that movie a lot. Over and over again. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, truly over and like slept with the VHS. I think um, that was like really... Um, but I don't know. I just, I think um, there's just something really nostalgic about it. And I think for me, ha- you know, because it's set in the sixties, right. but I think like, so there's something like nostalgic already within it. But then I think there's also something nostalgic about it when it came out right. too. Um, which, so it's like, there's like this twofold kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's funny because people our age, we watched that and like, we don't, we shouldn't have a nostalgia for baseball in the 1950s. Yeah. Right. But when yeah. you watch it, you do for some reason. And they're able to yeah. get the writing correct in the way I get, and it maybe it has to do with like maybe this, the universal themes of summer of like no matter when you grew up, you want to be out with your friends goofing off and they just captured it really well. And I think so much of the movie is actually not about baseball. Mm-hmm. The movie is about kind of like coming of age, but also the huge thing is like, you know, the, the, 
the villain of the movie is this like beast on the other side of this fence. And it's kind of like this like looming presence, the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end you kind of realize that like, Oh, things aren't always what they seem, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, that like, Oh, we were villainizing this thing because we didn't understand it. Right now we understand it. And also, you know, <laughs> just the cameo of James, James Earl Jones, Jones. Yeah. Just like, super casual. Yeah, and then him coming out and being like, why don't you just knock on the door? Yeah. It's just like, how many times in my life have I been just been like, why didn't I just knock on the door? Yeah. I could have just, my life would have been so much easier if I just knocked, yeah. if I just asked. Yeah. If I just asked. And so it's just like, I was watching it, you know, in my 30s being like, wow, there's so many, there's just like, you know, so many universal themes that are kind of like hidden in this like classic baseball movie where it's like, right very little of the movie is about baseball. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's about, you know, these friends and, and overcoming an obstacle and also like not judging a book by its cover and, and, mm-hmm. and, and asking for what you need and not assuming that it's out of, out of reach. Um, yeah. Like I definitely related to smalls when I was a kid, when at the beginning, when he like can't catch the ball and like, you gotta keep returning it, oh, walking about. Cause I have so like, good. I like, I'm no athlete by any means, but I grew into coordination and general athletic ability later in life. I have a vivid, awful memory of I was playing little league baseball when I was maybe five or six and I like got the ball and I was supposed to throw it to the third baseman. And I just like had no understanding of how to throw a ball with any sort of like (laughs) distance. And I just threw it over his head, like in like out of the game. (laughs) <laughs> and I was and I was so mortified. And so watching Smalls like just unable to throw the ball, I was like, you know what? Oh, I, like, I feel you. I, I feel, feel you. you. Like we, we <laughs> I, I get it. I get that horror and terror of being that bad oh, yeah. at something everyone else plays. Um, did you yeah. have any sort of fears like that as a kid? Was it performing for you where like you didn't want to be a bad performer as like a really young kid that like kind of terrified you, but you got into it and it became a natural thing for you? Yeah, I think I, I used to have really, um, I used to have really bad stage fright. Oh, okay. Um, but it wasn't, it, it it manifested itself in such a strange way. It wasn't <laughs> ever before; mm-hmm. it was after. Mm-hmm. So I would, I um, uh, I grew up going to a lot of ba- uh, basketball games at um, my mom's university mm-hmm. um, that she taught at, mm-hmm. and so I would sing the national anthem oh. a lot, and I was always completely fine until after I sang and then I would like run into the bathroom and start crying and my, my mom would always be like I you did it yeah, scary what, parts uh... <laughs> it happened already are you okay yeah um and I I have been I definitely you know grew out of that um but I, that was like the only like you know performance pressure anxiety I can I can remember mm-hmm growing up is like I would have I, I I would be like a little nervous but not too bad but then it was like I would get embarrassed after the fact um which is so funny but I still I still get like stage fright sometimes yeah. and get really nervous um to perform um but I think you know I think that's good I think that's that's especially live theater I think yeah. that's like why we do it is like there's something we you know so much of <clears throat> being a performer is being able to like um uh you know, use that anxiety and that pressure and mm-hmm. that nervousness and kind of hone it 
and, and use it in your performance. Um, and, but I also think that that's something you can't replicate anywhere yeah. else. I haven't, you know, it, it's that, that feeling. I, I haven't, I haven't found that in any other, you know, kind of medium or, or activity in my life of this, like that, you know, that, that rush. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. the rush of something can go wrong. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. the second versus satisfied doing that over and over again. Come on, that can't be easy. That's <laughs> that can't be easy. Come on, that's tough. We all know that's hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, where uh, where Smalls and Benny the Jet went on to be a professional baseball caster and player, you took your fears and are now went on to be a professional Broadway star and actress oh, and voice actor. Goodness. So all that. Um, well, this was oh, a man. ton of fun. So last question here. So strangers on a train. Purple Rain mm-hmm. and The Sandlot. Do you see a through line uh, between these three films as to why you chose them? These are just movies that have have stuck with me. And I am I am not one to rewatch things. You know, I, I just, in thinking about, you know, ha- talking with you today, I just was like, what are the movies that for some reason I'm always down to rewatch and revisit? And, and I am, and have stuck with me you know, kind of my, my whole life and, and, and have kind of themes that, that I, I think I have drawn from. And I think there's this like unapologetic energy from Prince in Purple Rain that is, you know, I, 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 I so admire and, and, and I think it's, it's just so bold and brave and it is exactly what it is. And, and, and I think, you know, the Sandlot, like we were talking about, I think there's just these underlying themes of that I've I've kind of subconsciously and consciously have like carried through my life of like mm-hmm. not judging a book by its cover and and saying when you need help or asking for a friend or or just asking for something. <laughs> um that has always stuck with me. And I just think Strangers on a Train kind of that was like the introduction to me into, you know, just my love of 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 thrillers and murder mysteries and you know books podcasts movies tv shows mm-hmm. you know i'm um it's it, it was hard for me to think of like movies that changed my life but yeah. i think i i really resonated with me like movies that had like stuck with me um that i you know first saw when i was you know a kid for yeah. the most part most of these yeah Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was thank a ton you so much, of fun. Ian. Uh, um, yeah, it was so nice to meet you. You too. Uh, Umbrella Academy is available now. Seasons one and two on Netflix, and keep an eye out for season two of Central Park, which will be on Apple yeah. TV Plus and everything else that you do in the future. So it was oh, wonderful talking thank to you. you. Uh, stay Likewise. safe out there, and we'll talk soon. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcast for more content on Emmy and to easily add the movies that changed her life to your IMDb watch list. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.